Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have... We are rerunning an episode with Lindsay Broker. <laughs> yes, we are. We know how much you guys miss Lindsay and her podcast. And so we decided we would rerun this episode for y'all. Yeah. So, yeah, she uh, did the Six Figure Author podcast until very recently. And um, I know that was a must listen for a lot of people. So we thought yep. we would rerun this one. And she talks about um, using pen names and um podcasting for authors, in fact, mm-hmm. and also about um, how she releases, which is a little bit different. She um, releases into KU and leaves her books in there for a while and then releases them wide later. Mm-hmm. So anyway, good interview and yeah. we decided to share it again. Yeah, we are. We are. So I have no news um, other than I've been a little sick, um, but Sarah has news. So Sarah? Well, I'm back from London. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm back from London. I went to um, SPS for the second day and that was great to see some writers that I knew online, but not in person, Mm -hmm. got to meet them and connect Mm -hmm. with them. And then I got to meet so many people who listened to the podcast. That was Mm -hmm. just so much fun Mm -hmm. and um, really enjoyed that. And then I spent um, several days in London on my own after that. And I just, I went to the British library and I found some research stuff there and then I went to visit some stately homes and went to see a play, did all kinds oh, of stuff. I went to go see The Mousetrap. It's like the longest uh, running play. Oh, and um, it was really good. Yeah. It was uh, one of those that That's I kind great. of wished I had um, closed captions because like now I listen to everything. When I watch anything on TV, I listen to I her, know, turn on the, to help me catch all the little details. And they mm-hmm. speak so quickly, but... But it was mm-hmm. good. I really, it was good. I, if, especially if you like mysteries or Agatha Christie, yes. definitely go see it. So yes. that was cool. And I um, definitely do. Yeah. So, so I'm really glad I went, um, came back, tested positive for COVID. And I, it had <laughs> been so long since I've been long enough that I think everybody who was at the conference was in the clear. So yeah. nobody, I don't think I gave it or got it from anyone there, but, um, yeah, I've done like nothing since I got back. I'm feeling better yeah. now, but basically I've laid around for several days and right. done nothing. So hopefully right. I'll get back into the groove next week. Oh, but I did have one thing I wanted to share that might be helpful if you're traveling. Yeah. I tried this app called Time Shifter. And mm-hmm. basically you put in your where you are, where you're going, your flight information, and it creates this little schedule to help you mm-hmm. transition so that you have a better experience when you arrive you're not so jet lagged and it really worked I was shocked that um like I I got up the day after I arrived and went to the conference all day and I didn't feel you know tired or sleepy or anything so anyway so that might be helpful if you travel a lot. So well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I said I didn't have any uh, news and I don't have any personal news but I wanted to say that um Claire Taylor's, um, yes. the, we re-aired her episode two weeks ago. And, um, you know, she has the Kickstarter on Reclaim Your Author Career. And it has funded, I mean, like over and above. And it funded in like, what, like yeah. 20 minutes or something crazy yeah, something like, that, like or that. Like under an hour or something. Yeah. She's at 160 backers. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, we can put that link in the podcast. I mean, in the show notes, uh, yeah. if you missed that, you can go back and listen to the, her episode. And um, we can, we're going to have her back on to talk about kind of new stuff too. But um, I just was, so happy for her and uh, people are so excited about this Kickstarter. So I just wanted to share it again. Um, yeah, and it's also obviously con, you can still, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. We don't no, have our video say, on y'all. because Our internet's horrible. And uh, <laughs> we just talk over each other all the time. So sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say the, the, the Kickstarter thing. That's, it's just amazing that it yeah. obviously, it works. And if you, mm-hmm. you know, are at all interested, 
just mm-hmm. go back and listen to uh, Russell and Monica's interview about Kickstarter yeah. and because they have great tips. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Their book is awesome. No, it's fine. And their book is awesome too. Yeah. We, we, it's just been amazing to watch people just really kill it with Kickstarter. Uh, Brian Cohen just had a really successful one too. Mm-hmm. Um, no, what I was going to say about Inkers, still, there's still a chance to get the $50 off if you use the code uh, from us, Jamie22, and it's J A M I 22, all caps. And uh, we can have that link in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, I think that's all. I'm I'm recording tomorrow for Becca Symes conference, uh, her strengths conference um, about launching. So she's we're gonna do like a little interview style thing, and um, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward yeah. to that. And uh, but that's about all I've got going on. So okay, just, yeah. Well, we will get Thank on you. with the interview then, and we'll have yeah. all those links in the notes. So mm-hmm. if anyone's interested, yep. Enjoy Lindsay. All right, here we go. Lindsay Baroker is a full-time independent fantasy author who loves travel, hiking, tennis, and beach laws. She grew up in Seattle area, but has itchy feet and moves every couple of years. So today we have Lindsay Baroker with us. Hello, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, and it's good to be here. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. We're excited to talk to you. We've talked to a lot of romance and mystery authors, and now we want to kind of add in some sci-fi and fantasy. So yeah. All right. Great. Sounds good. I'll be your token geek. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. That's great. So um, can you start us out and tell us um, what genres you write in? I know you have a lot going on. Right. Um, I, almost, almost everything is under sci-fi and fantasy. I, I I've strayed occasionally and written stuff that didn't sell because I wasn't committed to it. But I write mostly, you would call it maybe steampunk slash epic fantasy, somewhere in that area. And then I also do space opera, kind of like Firefly and Star Wars. And I have a pen name I haven't published anything for a couple years on, but she does sci-fi romance. So the naughtier bits, so I can hang with your romance people a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I'm doing an urban fantasy series right now, so I've been jumping around a bit under the umbrella of sci-fi and fantasy. Have you published the urban fantasy or are you? I have. There's three of them. I decided to launch it right into uh, COVID-19, you know. I mean, I didn't. I had plans and then this virus came along. So it's a perfect time to launch a series. Why not? Exactly. Exactly. Well, that makes it, that does make me feel better because I have a series that I want to launch, but I was sort of wondering, should I wait or just go ahead and do it? People have been very appreciative for new things to read. So there's that, you know, I'm not sure, you know, sales have been okay so far. I don't know what the future will bring, but I'm a little bit glass half empty. So I'm always prepared to be properly pessimistic. And (laughs) and then I'm pleasantly surprised if if it's not that. If it turns out that way, that's great. Well, tell us how you got into writing. I was an only child and read tons as a kid. Uh, definitely an an introvert too and we did like little car trips to uh, swim meets I was on swim team and uh, I just read so many books in the back of the car going (laughs) around that's how you traveled back then and maybe it will be again too you just car trips like nobody went on airplanes or cruise ships or anything like that Um, but so I grew up reading loved it loved making up stories for like my stuffed animals would all become characters and um, but I was not very good at finishing things I tended to start stories and write the fun yes. parts and then wander off. Yes. And that, that continued <laughs> like throughout. <laughs> Finally, you know, um, probably about 15 years ago now, I joined an online writing workshop and uh, you'd, ch- you'd post a chapter each week or whatever. And uh, I'd see other people finishing their books and getting agents and uh, selling short stories. And that for me was motivating. I like, I see other people be successful and I think, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm as good as they are. Maybe I could uh, finish something too. And so I, I got a little more serious and I uh, spent a couple of years with that workshop and really learned a lot too from having my stuff critiqued and also from critiquing other people's work. It was, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I seem to learn best that way, kind of a kinetic approach rather than mm-hmm. just reading a book or something. Mm-hmm. And um, I was kind of ready to seek out an agent right about the time I got my first Kindle. This was like fall of 2010. And that we started seeing some success stories then from like J.A. Conrath and Amanda mm-hmm. Hawking back in those mm-hmm. days. And I pretty quickly went from like, hey, 
I, I didn't think I was really going to get an agent anyway because I wasn't writing the kind of stuff they were asking for. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm just going to go all in and do this self-publishing thing. And it's been almost 10 years now, and I've, I haven't counted how many books I have out. It's probably 60 or 70 novels and then a bunch of shorter stuff. But um, been full-time since mm, 2012, I'd say, early 2012. I, I was self-employed before, so it was kind of a gradual transition rather than yeah. just putting the day job. But I'd sort of checked out of the other work <laughs> well before. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's very common. Yeah. yeah. Your just yeah. brain's like, Ooh, look, I, I'm, I was excited to make like a hundred dollars. I was like, if I can make a hundred dollars from my books, I can make more. So we right. can do this. <laughs> right. Right. I think you, um, I, I tell this, in fact, I said it when we interviewed Jay Thorne that, um, he was telling the story about when he decided to go full time and y'all were in New Orleans, you and, Joanna and Jay and Zach, and I, something was said to the effect of, well, what if I don't have enough money? And you were like, you just make more money. And I was like, that is genius. And I have held on to that for, it may not even have been the right quote, but for me, I'm just like, yeah, I'll just make more money. That's what you do. You just make more money. So if you make $100, you make $1,000. Right. And I had come from being self-employed for like, since 2001 or so. Yeah. So I had already sort of embraced that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset, even though as an introvert, I find some of that stuff very hard. I can't like sell anything, to yeah. hard sell anything to anyone. But, you know, I'd seen like, well, if you just, you could start another series or, you know, mm -hmm. try some nonfiction, like those guys do the uh, nonfiction also, I think, yes. or at least the, uh, the courses and yes. the, mm -hmm. The get-togethers mm -hmm. that we will not be getting together for, but um, <laughs> virtually, I think we're still getting together. Oh, right? that'll be good. Yeah. Career author summit. Yeah. So there's there's always opportunities, always more things you can do if uh, something's slowing down. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Just I have that true. mindset of like, okay, I, I can do this. I've done it yeah. once. Mm -hmm. I can do it again. You can do it yeah. again. Yeah. There's That's so exactly much potential. Right. Yeah. That's the one thing about being indie is that you have so much freedom. In, in a way, it's overwhelming, but it is great because you're like, well, if that didn't work, I can change it. I can start a new series. I can do whatever. So that's really mm -hmm. one of our big advantages. Um, so what would you say was your first big success? I think the first thing I did that took me past like a hundred dollars a day or not hundred dollars a day, a hundred dollars a month <laughs> was just, um, you know, I figured out that you can make things free, which was not an obvious thing back in like, this was early 2011. Uh, I didn't know, never didn't know how to do it on Amazon until like a year later. But I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I put out a short story that I had originally written for an anthology that was rejected, but mm -hmm. it tied into like my main series, my main series that had one book out with a second one coming. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was because I had struggled, you know, just getting traction selling the novels at 299. This was, there was Kindle Nation Daily was the one and only sponsorship site out at that time. There was nobody doing Facebook ads. There were no Amazon ads. Mm -hmm. So it was actually, it's funny because we talk about it as the gold rush days, but it was actually pretty hard to gain visibility. Mm -hmm. if I, and then I didn't have awesome covers or, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And back then you had to like go find somebody on DeviantArt. There were no, uh, there wasn't this whole industry of cover design. So, um, but anyway, I, I made that story free and it really highlighted the main characters and showed their banter and that they were fun. And I was like, oh, and by the way, if you want to see how these characters met, here's a preview to book one in the back of the short story. And um, so making that free out there on Barnes and Noble and, and I think it was probably Apple and the other shores, I always would smash words then was sort of the first thing I did that started bringing in sales of the first novel in that series. And then I published more in the series. Eventually I learned how to, do the price matching and get Amazon to make uh, book one free. And uh, things have been going, you know, I, I wasn't like a huge thing. It wasn't like I was suddenly making a million dollars, but it was sort of the first thing that helped. And I'm still today a very big uh, proponent of giving stuff away for free, mm -hmm. sort of the free samples at Costco, you know, like, like here's mm -hmm. this yummy cheese and mm -hmm. you know, you want to buy the rest of the yummy cheese over in this block for $29 because it's luxury yummy cheese. So, Yeah. So you're, are you all wide or are you some wide and some KU? I am most, all my backlist is wide. And then it's usually sort of the last, like the current series and the last series are in Kindle Unlimited. I, I'm not a big fan of the exclusivity. Like most authors, I think will admit yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I definitely have seen that it was very hard to launch new series and compete with books that were in Kindle Unlimited, since I'm sure you've talked about how it 
borrows count as sales as far mm-hmm. as um, ranking and visibility goes on Amazon. So I kind of caved and gave in, at least for now. I'm uh, uh, launching things. So uh, in, indicate you for new stuff. I, I do do a Patreon also so that readers can get the, I'll pre-launch there a couple weeks before oh, okay. I launch mm-hmm. the series. And that does give, you know, some of the Barnes and Noble and Kobo readers and Apple a chance to get them early. So they're not like punished and have to wait two years, mm-hmm. which I, it's something I struggle with, you know, like I want to make as much money as I can for my series and get it in the hands of as many people. But I, because I started wide, I do have all these readers on the other platforms still yeah. that get grumpy. If yeah. uh, understandably mm-hmm. the books aren't available for them. So it's, and, yeah. And that, <laughs> Go pre-order, that pre-order thing works well. You, you, that's been working well for you. As far as um, it does fine. I've got, I think, maybe like 200 or 250 people that do that. Oh, wow. um, some people won't because they just, it's too many steps. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's book funnel and yeah. it's not automatically landing on their device. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand, but I did, at least I have the option for them. Right. Um, so, you know, and hey, it's, it's a, another place I get money besides Amazon. So I always figure if anything happened over here, I could ramp this up over here. Right. You know, right now as we're recording, audiobooks are really delayed with ACX. And so I'm, I'm kind of looking around like, how could I just, you know, release the audiobooks? I, I'm waiting for BookFunnel to hopefully uh, mm-hmm. make yeah. a delivery system for that yeah. For, um, yeah. Yeah. As, as a way to sell direct mm-hmm. as another option for those. Yeah, and you're yeah, in touch with the Patreon people. You have you have connection with them where you wouldn't have it through Amazon or Kobo. So that's good too. It's like you can keep it up. It is. With them. And those are some of the best like these are people that will pay five, ten dollars every time you publish something. Mm-hmm. I think I even have a people couple that pay twenty five dollars, even though I specifically say like, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> and, this and you know, I have it so they can do it if they want to once in a while, but there's a couple yeah. people on there. And they yeah. tend to be the least, you know, like the lowest maintenance mm-hmm. <laughs> customers. <laughs> so I'm like really I always know that they're they're just chill. I don't know. There's yeah. something nice about people who are willing to pay a little more for your stuff. They seem to, for whatever reason, they seem to be easier to yeah. uh, mm-hmm. within some of the customer service stuff you get from a, you know, why isn't your whole, why aren't all your books in Kindle Unlimited? And yeah. I've written a blog post at this point that explains it, that I can send it to them about the exclusivity okay. and mm-hmm. that being a problem and stuff. And I'm like, well, what, you need to email Amazon and ask them why they yes. do the exclusivity. Exactly. exactly. Not me. That's not us. Yeah, exactly. Well, tell us what you wish you'd known about writing and craft when you first started. I think, um, you know, I, I'm glad I did the workshop, actually. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I feel like by the time I actually published a couple books, I'd sort of gone through. I'd, uh, you know, I'd sold some short stories to anthologies and some of the lower-rung magazines. I never could get those, like, fancy pro magazines to want my stuff. But um, I, I actually think that that's something that I'm, I'm glad that happened, that I, I had that couple years of learning because now it's so easy for new writers just to go do 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 oh I can self publish get it right on Amazon mm-hmm. and, and start rolling along and I think if I, my first stuff had gone up before um, I'd gotten feedback from other writers like I would say if you can please other writers that's like the hardest group of people mm-hmm. is like writers and editors you yes. know they're, they're yeah. always harder on you than just you know fans that you yeah. don't necessarily care as much about if you're doing dangling modifiers right. <laughs> or, you know, yes. or if you're info dumping on page three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm not saying I was just so smart and patient to do that mm-hmm. stuff first, but just because I was a little earlier in the uh, e-reader movement, mm-hmm. I, I had to do those things because I thought mm-hmm. the only route at that time was going to be traditional publishing. Right. So I'm glad for that. Yeah. So I, I don't know that I guess I... <laughs> I guess what I wish I had known back then, I don't know. I, I, I feel like because I had to go that way, I, I was pretty solid when I first launched. Like my yeah, first book isn't perfect. Nobody's is. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad it wasn't like my first book I'd ever written. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing happened to me. But and it was, but that was only in like 2000, let's see, 16, 14 or so that I started, you know, I started kind of going to, uh, RWA and get involved with critique group and stuff, but I still thought that traditional publishing was the only route. And so I was going to critique groups and getting my stuff just ripped apart and, you know, in a good way, not a bad way, but, um, but it taught me so much that when it came time and I realized I could self publish, 
all I, I mean, what I really had to learn was the business, not writing in the business. And so that, I, I agree. I think that there's some benefit to that because yeah. I would have been crucified if I had put up my first stuff for sure. <laughs> there were, there were modifiers dangling everywhere in that uh, yeah. First thing, yeah. You don't know what you don't know until yeah, you know. I thought my stuff was delightful. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> I've been, you know, I was like, I was a reader since like age three. Of course, my stuff will be fantastic. <laughs> I will say one of the early craft things I learned from the workshop and from critiquing other people is that you don't necessarily have to fill all the time. Like I learned about scene breaks, you know, like stop when the important stuff happens. You don't have to show the, you know, I read all those books, uh, early America, like, you know, taking the covered wagon across the country, the entire trip across the country and fill all the time. Describing every tumbleweed that goes by. Yeah. So like travel scenes, I learned to cut almost all travel scenes unless like an attack is imminent or something. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We're just going to end up there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Pacing is tough. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So um, switching to the other Thing we all have to worry about is like marketing so what what do you wish you had known about uh marketing and publicity and things like that i think the thing early on that i might have had a little more success more quickly would have been if i'd had the covers really nailed down mm-hmm. and part of it was like i said there wasn't really an industry back then of cover designers so you were kind of figuring it out on your own like the first guy i did did some cool artwork but he didn't couldn't do the typography and I didn't know how to do like typography. So I had this weird, like painted red. <laughs> I don't know what you would call it, if it was even a font or what. But so I think, because I have no graphic design background and no skills in that department <laughs> whatsoever. So that was a little bit of a weakness for me. I think it was probably a few years before I started finding, uh, you know, there were more cover designers to pick from and finding some people to, you know, I, I still have some that I'm like, why was the art so much better for that other book you did? And then for my book, I'm like, hmm, yeah. is it me? It's probably me. I probably yeah. did not explain well or tried to over explain or something. So yeah, I would say the cover art has been one of the things where um, I wish I had yeah. got that dialed in earlier on. Uh, you know, because yeah. it's people will try a free book with a doofy cover, but <laughs> but way more people will try a free book with an amazing cover. Yes, yeah. exactly. I yeah, covers so hard. Yeah. yeah, I think that's so hard because, like, I don't know how to talk to an artist because I'm not an artist, but my daughter is, and so I'll go talk to her and I'll say, "This is what I got." How do I speak to my cover artist? And she'll tell me, "Say you want to say this," which. I, you know, I just don't know how to do that. So I think that's really challenging. Yeah, I knew nothing about cover design when I started and it was hard. It was hard. I didn't, I didn't know what a cover designer could do and they can do just about anything, but (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah. And coming out of the reading community too, you've probably had a lot of people say like the characters didn't look right on that cover. They're (laughs) horrible. And you probably felt that too. And so you want them to be just right when it's your turn to do it. I've since realized that I, I get a lot better covers when I'm just like, Hey, make something cool. It's space opera, put a space, put a starship on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, and like, I think that I, hopefully the artists get excited too when you're just like, yeah, make something cool. Yeah, and right. it sort of ties in with the story, but not worrying about like, did you get the eye color right? right. You know? Right. <laughs> My cover designer, we worked for, on the first one. It was a couple of months and because I didn't, I didn't know she could change hair color. I didn't know she could I just didn't know she could do those things. And so I kept going, no, do it this way. Do it this way. And finally, we took a break over the holidays. And when we came back, I sent her an email and I said, listen, you're the professional. So I'm just going to let you handle it. And she texted, she messaged back, oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. (laughs) She was trying to be, you know, accommodating, but she was like, just let me, let me put some things together and we'll see how that goes. And I was and it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. But yeah, as soon as I let go of the reins and let the professional do what they do, then I got a great cover. But yeah, it's hard. So what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your career? And then looking back, were they right or wrong? I think one assumption I made was that 
I could write, like, I, I always knew, like, I'm not the greatest plotter, you know, I'm, I'm only mediocre at setting scene and world building, but I, I loved writing banter and creating characters that um, I enjoyed spending time with. So I had the assumption, you know, having had a few short stories and things published at that point, I was like, I think the writing itself is good enough mm-hmm. you know maybe it's not the greatest thing out there but I, I really think that if I get these characters out there and get enough people to try my stories even if they don't fall neatly into like one t- category on Amazon <laughs> which I didn't really know was a problem yet then you know I thought people would be uh, loyal to the characters and the series and want to keep reading and that assumption actually turned out to be true mm-hmm. I think I've, I've learned uh, more like I said I, I've learned I'm not the greatest plotter I'm not the person who's going to have like surprise twists that delight and amaze people I apparently can't do that so I've learned more of the things I'm not that great at but I have learned that I was right about that initial thing that um I like to do banter I like to do characters and people really get attached to the characters and that you know they've told me like I wish I could hang out with these guys I wish we could have them over for the family barbecue so I've leaned into that mm-hmm. and I, I've tried to improve a little bit at the other things too, but I've kind of accepted that like, all right, if I have five pages of dialogue in a row, it's probably okay. Cause uh, <laughs> as yeah. long as it's moving the plot forward, I think my readers will enjoy it. Yeah. 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 I think that's really true. Um, like the, I'm, I write mystery. So plot is so important. And I've learned over the years that the characters are even more important than the plot. I mean, you have to have a good plot, but readers will come back for the characters from book to book. So I think that's really, yeah, that's really key. Yeah. 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 So have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? It's hmm. one of the tougher questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think um, I would say, I'm not sure I would call my whole career <laughs> early on a mistake, but before I started paying attention to like marketing and, what was, you know, learning that, oh, you actually want to write books that are like all the other books in a category on Mm -hmm. Amazon, and maybe with your unique twist, Uh, because I was coming out of like agents were saying like, we're tired of that. We don't want to see any more Tolkien kind of fantasy. We don't want to see anything like Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, oh man, I like that stuff. So I (laughs) intentionally wrote stuff that wasn't really to those tropes and that had those types of characters in the beginning. And, you know, I, I think that first series I wrote, The Emperor's Edge, which also I learned that you should not title the series after the name of the first book. You should actually have a series title um, <laughs> later on. But I, I think that I, because I, I came out of that with that mindset, let's try to write something different versus like everything else. I ended up with a story that's it's not, you know, now I've written other things that have sold more because mm-hmm. they have some more of those popular elements like in fantasy, epic fantasy dragons are popular. And I have a series now with dragons that did really well, but I, the fans really connected with the characters in that first series. And even though it didn't have a lot of the, you know, popular tropey stuff from Epic Fantasy, uh, it's, it's been a fan favorite and I've had like a lot of fan art and fan fiction mm-hmm. for that series. So I didn't really know what I was doing other than I want to write something I enjoy <laughs> with characters I like. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't know if I'd call it a mistake, but it was definitely, I was less educated on anything yes. marketing, anything yeah. what sells, you know, I was just doing what I wanted to write. And I'm glad I did that for my first series. And maybe, you know, it sold fine. I eventually, it was what led to me becoming a full-time author eventually. But it wasn't like I didn't sell a million copies and become the next man in hawking. And <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I would have, even if I had known more about marketing then. Right, right. But um. It was good. I think the first couple of series, I was just trying to write what I enjoy. And that ended up getting me some really loyal fans that I still have today. I think that's an important point, though, because I, you know, people, people always say, you know, be careful about writing what you love because you want to write to market, too. But if you're a reader and you read what you read in the genre you write in or you read in the genre you now write in, that you can write the book you love. I mean, you can write that book of your heart because it's what you would have wanted to read as a reader. And um, so, yeah, I think that does work out for some people, but it irritates me when people don't read in the genre they try to write in because it's a popular genre. And I don't think they always hit the mark because they're not lovers of the genre. I don't know how people can do that. Like I, I was never a big urban fantasy fan. So before I started this series, I was like, I crud, I got to like read a bunch of them to make sure (laughs) I didn't, I just wanted to write a story about a character set in modern times. I wasn't really thinking like, Oh, I got to like nail urban fantasy because that's what this is Mm going to be 
uh, categorized as, but I still went out and read a whole bunch of book ones because I was hoping I could find that there's some stuff vaguely selling that was somewhere in line with what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know if I would have adjusted my story much. I am a little bit stubborn about writing what I, it has to be what I'm excited about. And I, I tend not to be somebody that likes the real popular stuff. Yeah. Not, not because I'm a snob. I mean, I'm a snob, of course, but <laughs> not because there's like no value in that stuff. It just, for some reason, I never have connected with like the popular stuff. Yeah. You know? I was yeah. the, the little girl watching Star Trek reruns with my mom, you know, not, <laughs> not playing house or watching Full House or whatever it was on back then. So. That's awesome. Quirky. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yes. what I like to think of it as. I'm quirky. quirky. I'm yes. not in the mainstream. I'm kind of a little off, but I'm okay. It's quirky. <laughs> So have you ever had anything that you thought, oh, this is a home run. This is going to be it. And then it turned out not to be. Yes, it never <laughs> is. It's like, I, let's see, I thought uh, Chains of Honor was my series that I, I had like a really cool cover artist, Gene Mullica, and the covers are amazing. And I thought it was very much like kind of a sort of, I guess he was kind of orphaned. Uh, you know, he had to like the hero's young, like an 18-year-old character, which uh, in Epic Fantasy, there's like this trope where like the orphan boy saves the world and is a prophesied one. And it was as close as I'd come to following the tropes of Epic Fantasy. I was like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to sell it crazy. And it, it did okay. You know, I mean, I, I'm fortunate that I do have fans that will read anything, which is yes. awesome. Yes. But it, it definitely didn't like kill it. And um, with this urban fantasy too, I was like, well, I'm bringing dragons in to urban fantasy. They're awesome in epic fantasy. So maybe they'll be awesome in urban fantasy. And it's done okay, but yeah. I've spent more money on it than I did like the launch any of the last three series I've had. And it hasn't made more. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, so I try, I should learn not to just have any expecta- expectations. expectations yeah. But I think even after you've written a lot of series, you're always kind of hoping maybe this will be the one. This will be so awesome and they'll want to make movies out of it and somebody will want to pay me lots of money and I'll be retired at that point and yeah. can write whatever. But um, I, I should just not have expectations. That's hard. Yeah. It is. It's very hard. You always have hopes. Yeah, <laughs> you do. Even if they're just secret little hopes, you know. Right. You you're like, everybody, nah, you probably yeah. won't be that great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. that's exactly what I did with Urban Fantasy. I was like, well, I'm jumping into this new subgenre that I haven't written in, so it probably won't do that well. But secretly, I'm like, well, maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the time for dragons has come. <laughs> no, maybe we need that trend, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's so funny. So is there anything you've stopped doing, um, tasks or goals or things that you've taken off your plate um, over the years that you've decided that's just not really worth my time? I think a lot of the marketing stuff that comes and goes, um, you know, I've tried like Facebook events and um, mm. I've joined other people's parties mm. and like, like oh, uh, <laughs> yes. this ends up being kind of a, a time commitment. And mm-hmm. since I write fairly quickly, you know, it doesn't really take me that many hours total to write a book. So if I take two hours out here, two hours out there, I'm, you know, before long, I'm, that's a book I could have written. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some of those I've not really seen the needle move. So mm-hmm. I've just, I've sort of started saying, I'm trying to be better about saying no to things, mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, can be hard because you guys know that you have a podcast, mm-hmm. you'll be more likely to be approached for things, which can be good, especially mm-hmm. if you're not the kind of person that wants to go out and approach people and network and stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I've just tried to do fewer of the things that I've done. I've tried, I'll try anything once. And if it doesn't really kill it, you know, then I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't think I need to do that again. Yeah. I, I'd rather, cause I love the writing. That's my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. The marketing is the things I have to do in order to sell the writing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not like, Ooh, I'm so excited to make some new Amazon ads this week. It's more like, uh, Amazon right. ads time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Those are, a, yeah, they are a time suck. But I, I actually like the marketing because it's like, because I'm not risk averse. And so I like, it's like putting money in a slot machine and pulling the handle because a lot of times they work. They don't work a lot of times too, but you just never know. And for me, I love that part. But yeah, for a lot of people, that it's yeah. not that fun. I get it. I've become a big fan of things that you can do once and that continue to uh, sell books for you. That's why I'm still a fan of a perma-free book one in a series because Mm -hmm. I'll completely ignore something for a year and then I'll go in and it's like, oh, there's still like a hundred downloads a day of that book, you know, and then there's the series is still selling even though I haven't 
you know, got a book bub forever or, you know, or anything big. I, I do try to cycle through and, and, you know, get some promos and stuff for my book ones every now and then. But uh, that's one of the things that's just been easy. All I had to do is drop the price <laughs> yeah. and that continues to help these sort of the backlist stuff continue. Do you, to sell. Do you rotate the free books or is it usually just the first book in the series? I've got a couple of series where it's just book one's always free. It's been free so long that they're mm-hmm. like on scribd and places I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. So it would be yeah. really difficult to go and find all the spots where that book is free. Mm-hmm. So I've got a couple like that. And then I do rotate with a couple of the other series. Um, I have like a book, a three book box set. This three, my dragon blood series right now, that's one that always has been popular. So I, I leave that one free until I'm like, oh, I want to try to get a book bub mm-hmm. and they just, so I'll put it up to four ninety nine for a few months. Yeah. And then they seem to always take that one. And even though it's a little bit diminishing returns on, on books that have been featured year after year on there, mm-hmm. you know, um, if I can get one, I'll still take it. It's still a nice boost. But yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll kind of rotate sometimes. Some things I've made, like I just did a complete series free for uh, my newsletter just because I'm like, hey, guys, if you lost your job or something right now or money's tight and you don't want to buy my new book at $5, here's also I've made this box set of this complete series free just for yeah. you guys. And oh, that's like nice. Yeah. That too. yeah. That's really great. So, um, what do you wish you'd known about writing in multiple genres and uh, like using pen names? And do you recommend using pen names? I think I, I'm not sure I wish I'd known it because then I wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I probably did not realize early on that the best way to make a re- you know, have a really good devoted fan base and sell really well with every new series you do is to always write in the same genre Mm -hmm. and always kind of give your readers what they want more of. Jumping to different genres, even within the realm of sci-fi and fantasy, you know, I've definitely found like there's people that do epic fantasy that don't want to touch the space opera stuff. Even Mm -hmm. within fantasy, they may do epic fantasy, but not be interested in the contemporary urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. So... I, I would probably tell other people, <laughs> you know, if you want to make money, just focus for a while on one genre and write a couple series and really know it and get established in it. And then maybe you can try something else. So that's one thing I've learned is that, that mm-hmm. I've kind of picked a harder road than necessary. And, and then with pen names, um, I chose it. I felt I had to because I, this, the sex on the page was a, big departure for me mm-hmm. like I the first series I wrote where I had like a little teeny love scene I got some flack from readers that you know my first series was more PG mm-hmm. and they were kind of like what what is going on they're having sex in a cave they just met like in this book <laughs> they're going no romance <laughs> fantasy romance so at that point I just decided all the naughty stuff for the most part would go off under the pen name yeah. but I've, I've definitely learned that it's a big a lot of work to maintain two names, you know, to do. And I don't anymore. Like I've kind of dropped the website and the social media pages and stuff for the pen name. Mm -hmm. So that's something for people to consider if they're doing planning to do a pen name and their regular name, you know, are you going to keep publishing in both names? Even Mm -hmm. if you're quite prolific, it's hard to really keep two going. I found, you know, I like to focus on one series at a time. So that would mean leaving my regular name with nothing new out for whatever, almost a year while I go over and publish a new series under the pen name. So it's a little harder to keep things selling. And then when you're releasing new books as a pen name, um, that will help your backlist, but only your backlist for your pen name, (laughs) you know, and vice versa. Whereas if everything's under one name and you have a series that's selling well, a new series, you'll get people trickling back and trying their older stuff. But it, unless you eventually go the route, and I've thought of this, of putting both names on the cover and claiming mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. authors mm-hmm. and just maybe making a disclaimer like, hey, naughty bits in the... Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Don't read if that's not for you. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. something that I may do someday and just... Because I, I very, you know, I enjoyed the stories that I wrote under the pen name. I didn't use it as a way to, like, some people I've heard just like, well, I'm just going to knock these out and put out okay, mediocre stories, you know, and hope they sell because this isn't a hot genre. I was very much just, they're, they're still my stories. They're just mm-hmm. with sex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I read a book the other day and it's it said she dedicated it to her dad and, you know, how great he was. And then she said, but dad, don't read chapters 5, 12, 14, and 30, you know, 30 or something like that. 
<laughs> wow, was hilarious. she's got yeah, she four really, cave scenes. Yeah, she, went, <laughs> she went for it. Uh, but I think this is important though for our listeners because Lindsay is crazy prolific. Like she just said, I mean, she can write a book really fast, but even you find it hard to write under two names and be and get books out as fast as your readers want, want them to be out. And then doing all the marketing for both yeah. names too. Yeah. It's yeah. like, that's, if I was just, you know, if I had a full-time publisher or something mm-hmm. and I was just doing the writing, maybe it'd be okay. But I've found too, as I've written more and more series that it's really hard if I start jumping around. I, mm-hmm. My brain works much better if I write books one through eight back to back. I don't always obey my brain, but for the most mm-hmm. part, I've learned to yeah. mostly do that uh, mm-hmm. because otherwise I end up where I have to go reread like the first six books if it's been yeah. a while since did an installment in that series and that takes a lot of time i'm not a fast reader <laughs> for yeah. some reason i can write quickly but uh yeah <laughs> i don't fast. i'm not like one yeah. of those i read two books a day and even when i was a kid i might have read one a day but you know what are you doing as a kid you're in the back right. of the station wagon on a road right. trip what else do you have to do but, yeah, yeah. There, there were no there was no other entertainment back then you yeah. know it was like the one station that came yeah. in on the radio yeah. that your dad exactly. claimed so yeah, yeah. exactly that's exactly that's what so makes funny. me tired just thinking about it and i haven't ever tried a pen name so mm-hmm. so not only do you write a whole bunch of series you also do podcasting so we wanted to talk to you about podcasting and um any advice you have, anything that you wish you had known about podcasting, in particular, if there's writers out there that are thinking of starting a podcast. And like ours is more directed to writers and yours is too, but just whether... Which is the six-figure author, author podcast. podcast. Yes. yes. So the thing I've learned about podcasting from doing this one and then for about four years... We also did the sci-fi and fantasy marketing podcast, which was super niche. And in the end, I felt like we were being a little repetitive. So that's why I was like, ah, we can retire this one. And I almost retired completely from podcasting. But um, Andrea Pearson, who is one of our new co-hosts, co-hosts on the new show, wrote a long email with like ideas. This is what you should do when you bring the show back. I was like, well, why don't you come on board? And, and yeah. we'll do those with the new show. <laughs> but um, what I've learned is it doesn't really sell books. It might more so if you're selling writing, you know, if we were selling books about yeah. writing, right. uh, that'd right. be more of a match. But even so, I find that people are listening to their podcasts where they're walking their dogs or they're mm-hmm. commuting. So they're not like, oh, I can click and buy a book really mm-hmm. easily right here. Mm-hmm. So I, there's, there's, that probably shouldn't be the main reason you start one if you're going to start one. Um, what I have found, though, is that as somebody who's not at all into networking and I'm always like, no, I can do it all by myself. I do not need any help from anyone. I'm just going to do it all by myself. And to some extent, you, you can get pretty far that way. But it's, especially if you're a newer author, it's easier if you can get invited to like, you know, be on some joint promotions, you know, do a like eight author multi-book box or multi, yeah, multi-novel box set in one book thing. Mm-hmm. And everybody's promoting to their list and that kind of thing. And it can be hard to get invited to that stuff if you're just new author not really known in your genre yet Mm -hmm. when you do the podcast you have the opportunity to interview lots of people and just you also have listeners who Mm -hmm. uh, maybe write some of them might write in the same genres as you do so i found that it you know it's a lot easier i I don't usually do the newsletter swaps but i i did when i jumped into sci-fi because that was a new genre for me Mm -hmm. and i was really hoping to like you know i don't know how much you've talked about all stuff but i think we'll assume more people know that if you're writing in multiple genres it can get a little screwy with also bots and I was hoping to get sci-fi people to promote my book and I would promote theirs and so um, that was one time where I did newsletter swaps and I found that because of the podcast lots of people even though I hadn't written in that genre knew my name and were like yes yes we'd be happy to do that and uh, happy to do a newsletter swap with you and I've seen other people that are less that you know are newer less well known it's kind of crickets when they're like hey does anybody want to do a newsletter swap mm-hmm. so it I think for networking in an introvert acceptable way where you're, <laughs> you're not like smoozing people mm-hmm. at a conference or anything right, right. that it's, it's an effective way, especially if you can, you know, every time you do it and you get more listeners and more people. Mm-hmm. So it's been good for making connections, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I'm just like, um, I'm on the Enneagram, I'm a two, which is a helper. So I really, I mean, that this just like feels that well for me. I just love like giving information to people, you know, from really smart people like you. So um, <laughs> I do too. And then it, if you recorded it, 
you don't have to say it again. You can exactly. say, hey, we did a podcast on that. Why don't you check it out? Because you do, if you're out there, you start getting yeah. emails and questions yeah. from a lot of people. So yeah. it's nice to be able to go like, oh yeah, go check out episode 36 where we had Jamie on mm-hmm. and she writes a book a year and you're writing a book a year. So you should check out that show. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of that though, you pretty much live by the rapid release model. Is that correct? Are you trying to? Well, I have gradually over time become a quicker writer. Uh-huh. You know, the yeah. first series was more like a one every six months. Right. Those were also longer books too. So there was that. Uh, and now I found that between, you know, it kind of suits me to write the first three novels because I'm a bit of a, like I outline individual stories, but I'm with the world building. I'm a bit of a discover it and make stuff up as I go along. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm working on book three and I'm like, oh, I need this to make up a new religion and I need to plant that in book one, it allows me to, I actually, if I had my druthers, I'd probably write an entire series before I published any of them. And then, then you can just focus completely over to marketing instead of trying to do both writing and marketing at one time. But because I do do this full time and it's my income also, I I start to like "Mm, income dropping this month, (laughs) something new. So, um, what was the question? Well, <laughs> rapid I just, release. <laughs> yeah, just rapid release and, yeah. and, and the benefits you see in rapid release. I mean, we've heard so, a lot of them, but how's so that's the benefit one of them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. From the story perspective, it lets me really iron things out a little more before mm-hmm. I launch anything. And then I'm kind of committed and it's harder to go back and change things at that yes. point. And then for marketing, it seems to be helpful to... Um, you know, you just, if you have three for them to buy all at once or like one right after the other, you seem to, you're kind of striking while they're still excited about the first book. I just, I find that I get a lot better sell through earlier on. Uh, Sometimes when you put out book four and it's been a long time since the last one, you feel like you're starting from ground zero. Like you've got your mailing list and those people are always good, but there's, you know, I, I know I have a lot of people who buy my books who aren't on my mailing list. They're just, they're never going to sign up for a mailing list. You know, they're never going to follow a Facebook page. But so if the book's already there on pre-order, at least, you know, they can go out and get it while they're still excited about the series. And I think with the voracious readers, I always tell people, don't assume that they read one book by you and you're now imprinted in your brain and they think they're awesome. It's like, no, you'll probably, they'll probably forget about you because they're reading a book every day. Mm-hmm. But once they read maybe three you know, there's a little more in the memory at that point, you know, and hopefully I've certainly found the conversion when I do a book one through three box set is much better going on to book four Mm -hmm. than like a book one onto a book two. They're just, they've read three. They're like, well, I'm in it now. Yeah. So I I love to have like the first three come out kind of back to back. Uh, You get some really great income months then too. It's just naturally, obviously, you're releasing several at once as opposed mm-hmm. to spread out over time. And it seems to be, it adds up to more than like the individual pieces with that. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's a bit momentum, a bit maybe if you're on the new release list, you know, right. for a solid two months or whatever on Amazon, that, that, that can help too. And so I like it, but it suits me. I, I yeah. do get concerned when people like do write a book a year and they're like, oh my gosh, now I have to have three books and rapid release. And I'm like, no, you don't want Yeah, to I'm just that. living vicariously through you. I'm just listening. Yeah. And going, that would be so nice. Well, uh, when you do release them, do you release them? Do you actually release them all at once or is it like one a week or one every few weeks or? Usually one every two, two to three weeks for the okay. first three, and then it'll be about a, one a month mm-hmm. for the next couple. And usually at that point, they've gotten longer because the series is getting longer, mm-hmm. so I slow down a little bit. And um, now with my space opera series, I'm releasing book seven coming up this month, and um, I took a break to do the first four books in the urban fantasy, mm-hmm. which is not what I recommend, but it was just the uh that particular series they they're all over like 150,000 words now with like seven point of view characters so oh. i was like okay i just need to write something simple for yes. a little bit and take a break before i go back to that so yeah well yeah. And yeah. another thing to point out too and, and i think rapid release is great even if if this isn't the case but in like urban fantasy and epic fantasy and space opera, you're usually working with the same characters in each book. Like it's, you've got one or two main characters and they carry through through all the books. Where like in romance, we write a lot of standalones in a series. So you won't have the same characters, but you'll have relating characters. Mm. So 
I think that's one of the reasons I can get away with riding more slowly because it's not like somebody's waiting to see what's going to happen to John and Mary. You know, I didn't leave. Are going to get together or not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, you know, they, even if it's not a cliffhanger, I mean, it's still that overarching, you know, sci-fi and urban fantasy and stuff. You've got that over, overarching bad guy or whatever and, that hasn't been resolved until you finish the series. So, um, but still, I, I still There's, think it's a great thing. If I could do it, I would do it. But there is pressure me. from your readers when you've got a cliffhanger. And my sci-fi series has mad cliffhangers pretty much all the way through. <laughs> it's sort of a, I envision it like episodic TV. Yeah. yeah. It's like next week, <laughs> find yes. out. Well, it's all that, it's all that Star Trek you watched. So <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good point with romance. And um, actually the most successful romance series I did under my pen name it was just like a five book series, but I had all five female characters get kidnapped at the same time. And it, w- it was like an overarching story. There was a romance in each one, but mm-hmm. they, the goal was to get back to earth. Mm-hmm. And they did finally get the end of book five. So and I was like, if you can do something like that with romance, I know not yeah. every romance genre is going to have kidnapping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dragged off to another planet. But if I was you say space somehow, aliens, yeah. yeah. That's exactly true. Yeah. Very powerful to have a story and a, not a cliffhanger, but like, because I did switch couples. Each one was yeah, in but that open problem. loop. You just yeah. need that open loop. Something to be resolved mm-hmm. is very powerful in keeping the reader going, especially well, when it is. Because yeah. I know when I read romances, I'm kind of like, even if I like one and really like the characters and the, I like the author, but the next one sounds like those characters are less my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. It's there's a little more of a question mark. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, if you have to see what's going on with. You know, and you're going to get an update with the original characters, too. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. that's very yeah. good. Thank you. That, that was a great answer for rapid release. I, I mean, again, I, I'm i a fan. I just, it's not well, something I've perfected yet. So. Yeah, well, I was going to say that I've, I'm not as fast a writer as Lindsay, but I did take, like, almost a whole year and wrote the beginning of the series. It took six months. I wrote two books and then waited until they were done. And while they were being edited, I wrote the third book in a new series. And so, and then I launched them 90 days apart because that was the longest you could do pre-order at that time. And that worked really well too, even though it was mm-hmm. slower, but the books were wide, mm-hmm. but that was a way it, it gave me that advantage of like, this one's done, but the next one's on pre-order and readers could see that. So I think I maybe traded a little, um, maybe newsletter signups for pre-orders, but the same principle worked. So mm-hmm. even if you can't release, you know, even if you can't write super fast, you can still sort of do the same thing, but maybe mm-hmm. modify it a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. that worked well for me. Yeah. So That's that might great. be something people could try. Yeah. yeah. So. Pre-order is good too. And I, I've yeah. had the same experience with that. Just what you were saying, like the first three books I had out, you know, the pre-orders were there and I just mm-hmm. kind of directed people to get the next one and Oh, sign up for my newsletter too. Mm-hmm. And now because things are a little weird in the world right now, I didn't put four up for pre-order. I want to make sure I have the cover art before I, I do yeah. that so I said we'll just sign up for my newsletter and I'll let you know when it's out and it's like lo and behold a whole bunch more newsletter signups than I was getting <laughs> when they could just go to pre-order so right maybe a choice but I, I do think it's good if you can have that out there yeah, um, yeah that's that and, is and, interesting yeah and like I was I saying never like you never have to feel like you have to do that that's why I love you Jamie because you're like an example of someone who is successful on a novel a year yeah. And it's it's just that if that is your special thing, like you can mm-hmm. write fast, that's one of your talents, mm-hmm. then go ahead and embrace it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I, I feel like it helps a lot with the marketing. It's sort of almost in lieu of marketing in some places. It is. It is. I would spend a lot less on marketing if I could release a book fast, if I could release a book faster, I think, because my launches and, and every launch for me, and it's kind of like one of those things about, oh, no, it's, it doesn't matter if it's okay, if it launches great. But in my heart, I'm like, this has to hit. It's the only <laughs> thing I've got coming out. You're like, And so for me, it puts a lot of pressure. So it would be better. But <laughs> Well, yeah. then there's other people who are like mad spreadsheet experts that really get the ads. And so it's like we all have our own little yep. things. Okay. Just yeah. whatever it is that is your thing and appeals to you, you can kind of focus on that. Yeah. And then yeah. – Use it to your advantage. Exactly. And and try to, like Becca Simon says, embrace your strengths and, 
you know, not looking stay at away from those things you're not as good at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So looking back, what changes have you seen in your genre genres as you've been writing? What changes have you seen like in publishing or specifically what you, you're writing in? Well, of course, there's a lot more authors doing this now. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more yeah. books in the Kindle store. There's, it's a lot, it's going to take more usually than a cool cover to uh, right. get your foot in the door. And, you know, I, I've seen the change, just the right to market movement wasn't really a thing. When I got started, nobody was really thinking about that. They were just writing what they wanted to write. And mm -hmm. the people who sold really well happened to be writing to market without knowing it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's become a thing as, as a result of more competition, I think, more, you know, it's always been hard to sell off quirky, offbeat stories, unless there's a, enough quirky, offbeat people of that particular thing, and then mm -hmm. that's a valid place to be, and uh, mm -hmm. you tend to get really hardcore fans if you are publishing something that's not widely available. Um, but it's probably a little easier road to go to a, and a bigger audience potentially mm -hmm. to, you know, do the little more writing to a hungry market, a bigger market. So I, I've seen that trend come along. And of course, when I started, there was no KDB Select, no Kindle Unlimited, no exclusivity with Amazon. Mm -hmm. So I've seen that and, you know, I've chosen to kind of, I resisted it for a couple of years and now I've you know, I'm partially committed, like I said, with the newer releases, yeah. I'll put them in there. So just having to adapt, and it, you were saying as indie authors, we can, we have that option, uh, you know, things are always changing, and we can adapt and, and either try to take advantage, or at least trying to, to get steamrolled over. <laughs> so because all the, you know, categories are more crowded, although if you watch Amazon, they do add new things like I started the pen name the sci-fi romance category is quite new when I started and at the time this is probably late 2014 when I launched the series the covers were really quite awful <laughs> you know I mean, as you can imagine sci-fi and aliens and things is hard anyway because they're not in stock art photos you know you right, gotta yeah. exactly, take yeah. this guy and put some horns on him and make him yeah. blue you know yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly but so it was a little easier because it was a newer category and less competitive then. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of just watch when Amazon puts some new categories up mm -hmm. uh, or subcategories in your genre, that can be something you can take advantage of. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, just try to pay attention. It's definitely changing. I still feel that people can get started today and do okay. Mm -hmm. I do think there's a lot of pressure right now with so many podcasts talking about, you know, or, or people posting their book report. You know, I made fifty thousand dollars this month. Oh, yeah, I've, I'll probably make fifty thousand dollars when I launch my series as a new author. And right, right. You know, and um, I had low expectations when I got started. I was just like, I'm hoping I can get to the point where I make paper route money. You know, I was really excited when I got to more than I was making when I was twelve from my paper route from my books. Right, I had two bills I wanted to pay. Like there were two bills that were really stretching us and I was like if I could pay those two bills then that would just like take the pressure off and I'd have my job and it that happened and but it was not like that wasn't a lot of money I mean it was two bills that I was just trying to take care of the car payment and I can't remember what the other one was but because I had gotten a new car but yeah so so if you have low expectations, yeah. there's nowhere to go but up. You're pleasantly surprised <laughs> if you do better. And then if you just hit your expectations, that's okay too. You can just gradually over time, you write yeah. more books, you write more series, you get more yeah. readers. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So what's the best thing you did, you've done to set yourself up for success, do you think? I think that I've always tried to, well, honestly, accidentally writing the type of characters that um, mm -hmm. I love, that other people have loved. I mm -hmm. think that's probably more key for me than like marketing brilliance. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think. I would but say I think definitely. that's great because that's not going to change. Marketing stuff will change right. over time. You know? um, so I guess accidentally having done the workshop and learned mm -hmm. the basics and proven I could sell stuff, even if it wasn't like to hugely popular magazines or anything, mm -hmm. um, I learned the basics and I wasn't trying to, like it's really hard to market a book that's a clunker it's hard to tell somebody like your baby's a clunker, you know, I'm like, I looked at the sample. That's all I need to see. You're going to have a hard time. Cause even if they can sell the first book, people yeah. will finish it. And go finish on. It, yeah. 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 So accidentally having to be patient because of the time, it wasn't yeah. as easy then to get started. So yeah. just, that was, I'm glad that I 
have at least because I'm not a super confident person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I like you. Know, so there's people whispering as I walk by. I'm like, oh, they're talking about me. They are just trashing oh, yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. At football games, I was convinced when they huddled up, they were talking about me. <laughs> So, that's also it, vanity. That's also vanity. You know, uh, I have but I, I was just uh, glad that I had a little confidence new by having sold some stuff to those jaded editors out there that mm-hmm. the writing was at least okay. So I, I'm glad I had to go through that and couldn't just go Whoop, throw that thing up there that I wrote in sixth grade, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's well, thank great. you for coming on today. Oh, the time to you have been, been so, so good. helpful. Yeah. And I think that people will really enjoy getting to know you a little bit better. And so uh, tell everybody where they can find you and your books. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show and um, lindsaybaroker.com or I'm on Amazon and the other stores. If you saw my name, if you spell my name anywhere close, usually Google will help you out. There aren't too many others out there. So, yes. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for listening. Everybody, you can find uh, show notes at wishiadknownforwriters.com. Thanks. Bye, and everybody. we'll have all Lindsay stuff in, in our show notes. All right. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.